This is The Book of Life, a podcast that uncovers life lessons from Judaism's most important book, helping you power your day with purpose. Here is Ruchi Koval. In 2011, I wrote the following blog post. A couple of nights ago, I had another Nazi dream. I'm in the Warsaw ghetto with my family, and I need money to buy food. I try to get to the ATM machine, but it's barricaded by guards. I manage to get my card in, but as soon as the $60 come out, they grab it and run away. But the scary part of my dream is part two. I'm in the barracks with my children, and I know that they are coming to get me for defying them at the ATM. I wonder if I will die by bullet or if there will be pain first. I pray for a quick death. I wonder if my children will persevere without me. And then I wake up. I've been having Nazi dreams in various forms since fourth grade, but they intensified after watching The Wave. Do all Jews have Nazi dreams? Do you? That's the end of the blog post. Here we are 10 years later. My Nazi nightmares are now terrorist nightmares, and they take place in Israel instead of Warsaw. The irony is that I've never anti-Semitic incident myself, as far as I can remember, but I grew up in the shadow of the Holocaust, so the threat of anti-Semitism was baked into my bloodstream. I knew people hated Jews. I didn't know why. In my grandfather's study were books upon books exploring these questions. I avoided these books like the plague and read comic books instead to get my mind off them. I never knew what to do about anti-Semitism, other than education and feeling sad and scared. Anti-Semitism is as old as Jews. Our forefather Abraham became wealthy and well-known and was generally respected as the non-Jews around him sensed that God was on his side. But by the time his son Isaac came around, he already encountered envy and distrust because of his wealth and success. The dynamic repeats itself in the complex and dramatic relationship between Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau, the diametrically opposed twins. Jacob bought the birthright from Esau, who was not interested in his Jewish ancestry. When their father Isaac got old, he wanted to bless his boys with his spiritual legacy before he died. Rebekah, their mother, knew prophetically that Jacob was the intended heir to this blessing, but Isaac was unaware. So she convinced Jacob to dress up as his brother and get the blessings deceitfully. Jacob, who was known as the man of truth, was deeply uncomfortable with this deception, but he knew he had to listen to his mother, who obviously knew better. Can't say I'm not a little jealous. As soon as Esau walked into the room and realized that his brother just stole the blessings, the Torah says this, Now Esau harbored hatred toward Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau thought, May the days of mourning for my father draw near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Rebekah heard this, and she sent Jacob away to her brother Laban to run for his life. Fast forward 22 years. Jacob was now married with a large family of 11 children. 
he received a prophecy from God that it was time to return to Israel. He got ready to return home after his long and eventful hiatus, but there's news. His brother Esau must have seen his Instagram because he knew exactly where he was and was coming to meet him. With 400 soldiers. Intent? War. The story is complicated and it's worth studying in depth, but just as a bit of context, Esau, on the one hand, despised the birthright and gave it away to his brother. So he openly disgraced the Jewish values his father had taught, effectively throwing away his Jewish identity. But then, when his brother received the spiritual legacy from their father, he became incensed to the point of murder. Because the giving of the Torah at Sinai wouldn't happen for another several hundred years, his only Jewish affiliation would be based on his own actions and not on his parentage. In that era, if you opted in, you were Jewish. If you didn't, you weren't. So now Esau hated Jewish values, Judaism, and his brother, the Jew. So Esau, in effect is the world's very first anti-Semite. Cue the world's first full-scale anti-Semitic attack. Let's move from the ancient story about individual brothers toward the contemporary story of large-scale modern anti-Semitism. So we'll cut away at this dramatic moment to talk about Barry Weiss's brave and brilliant book called How to Fight Anti-Semitism. The New York Times said this about her book. Though not claiming to be original, Weiss is admirably succinct in her explanation of why groups having nothing else in common are united in their dislike or hatred of Jews. In the eyes of the anti-Semite, she writes, the Jew is everything. It is not the actual Jew that most anti-Semites hate. Many of them have never met one, but what they project onto him. He is whatever the anti-Semite needs him to be. Ken Spiro, rabbi and tour guide in Israel, says, They hate us because we're rich. They hate us because we're poor. They hate us because we're too different. And they hate us when we try to blend in and assimilate. They hate us for being politically engaged and activated. They hate us for being separatists and isolationists. We are whatever they need us to be. What to do about anti-Semitism, as my younger self wondered, and as the title of the book promises to answer. In Seeking Solutions, Ms. Weiss says this. There has not been a single moment in Jewish history in which there weren't anti-Semites determined to eradicate Judaism and the Jews, but the Jews did not sustain their magnificent civilization because they were anti-anti-Semites. They sustained it because they knew who they were and why they were. They were lit up, not by fires from without, but by fires in their souls. Those who, rather than appealing and screaming, choose to build, to educate toward cultural and national revival, to defy anti-Semitism, not with Jewish pleas and Jewish hand-wringing, but with Jewish learning, Jewish observance, Jewish strength, Jewish achievement, such are those who bring our people survival, salvation, a future. End quote. What Ms. Weiss is saying here is that many Jews respond to anti-Semitism solely with protests, boycotts, editorials. 
Nope, she says. Turn inward. Build who you are as a Jew, and you have already fought the anti-Semites. You have already tapped into your immortality. Let's take another peek into the story of Jacob where we left off. Jacob is terrified. How does he fight his brother, the anti-Semite, who is not only angry at him for taking the birthright that he himself spurned, but wants to see him wiped off the map because of it? Answer, three steps. Step one, the Torah says the following. So he divided the people with him and the flocks, cattle, and camels into two camps. For he said, if Esau comes to the one camp and strikes it down, then the remaining camp shall survive. Step two, Jacob prayed to God. He said, God of my forefathers, rescue me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and strike me down, mother and children. And step three, Jacob sent a huge gift of cows, goats, camels, rams, donkeys, and sheep. I know you probably don't find this very exciting, but please remember that back in the day, this was the equivalent of your entire 401k. So in analyzing Jacob's strategy in fighting his version of anti-Semitism, we can sum it up like this. His first move was tactical. Jacob prepared for war. Second, he strengthened himself spiritually by turning to God and reminding himself that God is in charge and that being a Jew is about remembering that always. Three, diplomacy. He sends a gift to his enemy, hoping to placate him and avoid war completely. This three-pronged approach could be the subject of a new old book called How to Fight Anti-Semitism by Jacob the Jew, because not only does this threefold strategy work, but it's been the template for Jews across the ages, whether that anti-Semitism has presented in the form of communism, Nazism, progressivism, anti-Zionism, terrorism, expulsion, forced conversion, financial blackmail, or anything else. One, be ready for war. Have your passports updated. Be smart. Two, turn to your faith and become a stronger Jew. Three, whatever diplomatic maneuvers can be attempted, personally or politically, should be attempted. Jacob's strategy actually did work. Esau's heart was softened and the two brothers hugged and kissed each other upon meeting after their 22-year estrangement. But sadly, the heartfelt reunion of the twin brothers and symbolically respite from anti-Semitism throughout the ages was temporary there would always be another flare-up. But something else is true, too. The Jewish people cannot ever be decimated. This is a promise made to us by God in the Torah, and history bears this out. As Mark Twain, who was no great Jew lover, said about the Jew and his enemies, the Jew saw them all beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? The secret, Mr. Twain, is this. 
the more a Jew attaches himself to the eternity of Torah living and Torah values, the more immortal he will become. And the more anti-Semitism flares in all its ugly iterations, which we have all glimpsed in recent months and years, the more us Jews have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do in that regard? So my friends, I ask, in the face of anti-Semitism, what will you do? This is the Book of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Momentum Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Join Ruchi again next time for more meaning and inspiration from Judaism's most important book to power your day with purpose. You're listening to a Momentum Podcast. For unlimited inspiration, wisdom, and empowerment, visit MomentumUnlimited.org.